Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have all the skill sets. And you don't have to be perfect. Just like do it. Be brave. Raise your hand. Show up. Like go do something that makes you uncomfortable. Three, two, one. My name is Spree Devora, host of the Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create the Women in Tech Show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Welcome back to the Women in Tech podcast, celebrating women in tech around the world. So excited for our next guest from Los Angeles, California. Nikki, hello. Hello. How are you doing today? So excited to have you on. You guys have no idea. Nikki has been waiting like over an hour. So generous with her time. I've been completely delayed today. So I really appreciate you being here. It's my pleasure. Definitely an honor to be on this podcast and excited for our conversation today. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah. So my name is Nikki and, you know, I just love to build products. I think that's kind of what brings me the most happiness. I actually started my career as a trader on Wall Street. I was an equity derivatives trader, and I did that for about three years. And I was like, I don't want to keep you know, buying low and selling high. I want to have to do something that makes an impact yeah. on the world. And I really bit that entrepreneurial bug. So three years into that, I quit, and I started my own company called Lineup. I did that for about a year and a half. Um, and I realized that I, my favorite part of being an entrepreneur was actually building the product. Um, and I really leaned into that and found a job as a product manager. So I really enjoyed that. I'm a product manager at ShopStyle, which is essentially like a fashion search engine. So let's say you're looking for like you know, denim jeans or something. And instead of going to all your favorite stores, you can go to ShopStyle. It pulls a catalog of a ton of places um, on the site. So as a product manager for that, I own the customer experience for web and app. Um, which is an amazing, you know, intersection of being creative but also executional. And then beyond just shop style, um, I just want to keep that entrepreneurial spirit alive in myself. So I build a lot of apps on the side. Yeah. So I built this app called Squad Goals, which I actually launched last month. I built it with my brother over the last 18 months. And it's just like a really fun app to kind of keep our creativity skills sharp. And that's something I like to do on the side. What's the difference for you between being a founder and being a product manager? Because so many people feel so conflicted on, do I take a job? Do I be a founder? Do I build my own thing? Do I do both at the same time? Like, yeah. Yeah. So I think there's there's pros and cons to both. So what I really liked about being a product manager was I got, I had a lot more resources. When I was a founder, if I wanted to do user research, if I wanted to do marketing, X, Y, all these different things, I had to go do it myself and figure it out myself. And that was great, but that took away from kind of what I enjoyed the most, which was building the product. So I think as a founder, you really do have to wear like every single hat possible and that allow, and then therefore you're spread pretty thin. Um, and if there's, if you can identify something that you just love about it, then maybe it's Maybe it's better to like take that role in a corporate setting. But I think it's also really important that you find a role that is not just like extremely hierarchical or very like corporate, but allows you that freedom um, and allows you maybe some free time to do your side projects. So that's kind of the, the balance that I found. And, I, and I'm really enjoying this life of having a full-time job, but having time on the side to do others. So the next question I'm going to ask is, I think it's going to seem 
unusual, but there's a point in me asking. There's a pathway. Okay. How do you define happiness in terms of career, I guess, professional? Yeah, profession. So this is actually an interesting question because I ask my friends this all the time. I say, would you rather be happy or fulfilled? Because there's a different – actually, I think there's a difference in that, and everyone defines that different ways. To me, like, happiness is a bit transient. Let's say I had an amazing night out with my friends, and I, like, had a great time, and the next morning I wake up to, like, a stressful email from work. I'm no longer happy, even right. though I was happy, you know, 12 hours ago. Right. But, like, I'm still fulfilled. Like, that fulfillment is almost like a base level for me of, huh. like, something you need to achieve, and then happiness comes and goes, like, a, a little bit of, like, a roller coaster. So I would define happiness as like – and fulfillment in the sense that you wake up and you can almost choose what you want to do with your time. That right. makes me very happy and fulfilled. And like when I have to do something I don't want to do, then that's not like happiness for me. The reason why I ask the question is because I think about this a lot and it's something that gets thrown around. And since you've had the the really cool experience of both working for a company and being a founder, do you think it's possible – this sounds funny even saying it out loud. Do you yeah. think it's possible for founders to be happy? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the stress level is so ginormous. We usually think leaving that to go work a job is where we'll find peace, which isn't always the case. So what do you think about that? Yeah, that's a, like, that's a very interesting, you know, I, I agree. It's it's very difficult because you talk to a founder and they're stressed 24-7. Yeah. Things are always going wrong. So it's like, how can you be really happy with that? So I would say a founder is very fulfilled. They're probably not happy. They're very fulfilled that huh. they've created something that is like so, that is used by others and like is their own work and they feel a lot of fulfillment from right. that. But they're probably not happy most of the time. And then maybe someone who works in the corporate world is happy because they get a nice paycheck and they like, you know, can go take vacations, et cetera, et cetera. But maybe they don't feel fulfilled because right. they're working for the man. Interesting. So maybe there's a difference there, yeah. Like when I, when I've, worked different opportunities I'm be, I'm purposely being vague because I don't want to talk badly about anyone specific when I've like there was I was bullied at work mm-hmm. let's uh, that yeah I'm not saying with what company you can't figure it out but I was bullied at work when I was not a founder yeah. and I ended up having uh medical issues because of it until I left and then I was all fine so it's weird because here I was like okay the founder stress too much gonna go have this peaceful life and then I was bullied yeah <laughs> and my body definitely did not like that and so it's interesting so I think about it a lot of like what does it mean what does success mean to me what does success mean what does happiness mean and I like this term of time rich mm-hmm. like yeah. that we have the freedom to choose what we want to do with our time yeah uh, and then that we have enough money to be provided for exactly because money does al- unlock time for you yeah um so it's not like you can't just say that, oh money doesn't matter because like money helps because you can get childcare and you can get whatever xyz you can take an uber instead of taking a one-hour yeah. subway except like money unlocks time for you but the ultimate goal i think is having time and freedom right yeah yeah and it doesn't always unlock time it doesn't always. Agreed. It can cause more time sucks as well. It's interesting. Yeah. It's it's just such an interesting thing. So in your particular situation, mm-hmm. have you found more mental freedom in your job or is it not that easy a question? It's not that straightforward to answer. Yeah. 
I am really happy with my balance that I have created for myself of like this job gives me a steady paycheck and it gives me ability to like create something that is for a company that yeah. I, that has many, many users. But then like I've, I do finish work at five and I have like nights and weekends to really just grind on things that make me that like are really fulfilling and meaningful to me. Yeah. Um, so I, I do. I think I'm I'm lucky that I have a great job that gives me mental freedom. But I think a lot of corporate America, you don't have that, and it's not that yeah. um, like rainbows and butterflies all the time. So I think for people like that are kind of in that position, I would say if you have that itch to like be a founder, take it. Like, like quit the job and be a founder. Yeah. Because like you can always go back. And I think now more than ever, it is so respected that you tried something and failed mm. at it, and you came and you came back to found like to the corporate world. Yeah. Like I know so many people that have done a company for a year, didn't work out, and they got a job, like many many job offers, because everyone is so impressed that they took yeah. that leap. Um, so I'd say if you don't find that mental freedom in your corporate job, perhaps you try your own thing for some time and then come back. Which is so different than how it used to be, right? Yeah, it used to be taboo. Completely, that you, took time like, away. you failed at yeah. that. That sucks. Like you must be a bad person. You know, yeah, not smart or something. Yeah. And how did you find your job? I found it through connections. Like essentially, uh, before working at Shopstyle, I worked at Grubhub. Yeah. So my boss's boss at Grubhub moved over to Shopstyle, and that's how I got that Shopstyle job. Um, and then I got Grubhub also through alumni connections, where like the girl who was uh, the woman who was hiring, she went to my school. Um, so those are like both kind of, yes, there's a resume portion to it, but it's also like a lot about being in the correct networks. And Yeah. And it, uh, that a really annoying phrase that's accurate and also inaccurate in so many ways is that it's all who you know. It's like all your network. But I, I if heard that stupid phrase, like yeah. your network is your net worth. I can't stand that phrase. But like, <laughs> like I'm a, I think it's also not just who you know. I think it's so much more than that. I think it's our ability to ask, yeah. knowing how to ask with grace yeah. and proving it. I don't think anyone would have hired you at ShopStyle had you not shown what you're made of at Grubhub. Yeah, yeah. I think like I had created a good reputation for myself at Grubhub that like my bad boss's boss person knew that like Nikki is a person that we want to bring over because she's very entrepreneurial. Yeah. She gets it done, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so it's a it's a bit about who you know, but like at the end of the day, if you're not a person of uh, has strong work ethic and that like delivers, then I think it doesn't matter if you know the correct people. What guidance can you give us on how to show up day to day, especially like I mean, like I shared with you before we started recording, like I'm going through some pretty heavy stuff in my life. What's some kind of mantra or like uh, perspective to show up in a way where you become a recommendable person. Mm -hmm. I think the number one thing is like just – I know this is like really – they say it all the time, but it has a lot of weight is like to be kind. And I, I think that. I'm very – and be kind to everyone. So like I think this is like – this is a pro and con of my personality. Um, at work, I'm very, very nice to everyone. And as a result, sometimes like I'm not as direct. And then my manager will say to me like, Nikki, like you need to be more, you need to give more stronger direction and like have, you know, you need to push back on them and just say no. And I'm like, yes, I can. But like they would, they do it in a way that like people don't necessarily like them. And I'm like, it's not worth making someone's day bad, like someone else on my teams yeah. to like forward some project. Like there is a nice way to do it. So I think I'm very kind to like my engineers, my designers, my analytics yeah. team have a lot of empathy for them. So that just like creates a very happy environment 
like around me. Yeah. Um, where like people feel like there's positivity because I'm always uplifting everyone. Right. Um, and I think that just like is something that people remember. And like no matter if the project delivers, you know, what the results are, it's like I had a great time with that experience and right. I had a great time with Nikki. So I think it's like just really being kind to people. And how can you be kind but make sure that you're taking care of yourself, meaning uh, like what is your perspective on boundaries? Mm, yeah. Because I, I, I love that you said that. I find it really empowering and also – um, and tell, and of course, disagree if if you have a different yeah. perspective. I think sometimes people take advantage of the kind people. Do you disagree or agree? No, I, I completely agree. It's like you, it's, it's very it's, it's easy to take advantage of a kind person. So how do you protect yourself? Because it sounds also that you're a person that knows how to protect yourself. So I'm curious what that is. Yeah, um, I think let, let me answer this maybe in a context of friends, and okay. not necessarily like work, because okay. I think at work. Okay, actually, I can answer in both. At work, sometimes I'll just – if I feel like people are just taking my time up by putting me as my calendar, I will simply just decline them. And I'll just say, like, let me know if something – like, if you need anything from me, otherwise let's connect, you know, offline. Right. Um, so I try to protect my time by not having too many meetings. Right. So that's one way I do it. But with friends, like, let's say there's a friend – who I'm just not enjoying their presence. And maybe it's in real life, but a lot of it is on social media. Yeah. Like, you don't enjoy their presence. Yeah. I'm really quick to mute someone. Yeah. Um, like, I don't want to see, like, nothing against you, but I don't want to see what's going on in your life, maybe because of some insecurity yeah. of my own. Like, yeah. I'm really jealous that you have this job or that right. you're going on this yeah. vacation or whatever. Yeah. I'll just mute them. Yeah. Like, there's no need to see that and put that negativity in my own life. Yeah. So that's kind of a way I create boundaries is I just, like, out of sight, out of mind. I'll just block it out. I like it. And is there anything like, let's say at work, somebody's asking you for too much, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. people will keep asking as much as we'll give. I know. <laughs> How do you like... put a limit on it? Like, I know one thing I did in the past. It, what was it? It was like, it was saying, oh, I remember what it was. It was saying, I can do that. Just note that that other thing you asked for then won't get done. Is that okay with you? Yeah. And they're like, oh, no, 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 never mind. <laughs> so that's one thing I used to do. That's, that, that's <laughs> such a great way. It's like you basically say, hey, I have a you know mental priority queue. And if you want to put this at the top, these other things will get bounced down. Yeah. There's like this amazing meme I just saw, which is like a person is like drowning in the water. And it's like me, my manager, and then the person is like, the manager says, it'll be a good, like they're reaching out for help. Yeah. And then they high five them and say, it'll be a good learning experience. And then they continue drowning. Stop! <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so relatable. <laughs> so relatable. They always, they frame it as, it'll be a great learning yeah. experience. You're like, I don't want to do this. Yes. So how do I set boundaries there? I'm very quick. So what I'll do is I will do maybe like 20% of the project and I'll give them kind of like a sound bite or, or a little like sneak preview of like, this is what the project will result in. Right. Do you want, like, is this the direction you want to go in? If yes, like, okay, then it's going to be a lot more time. If no, then like, we already know this is not worth doing. Let's move on. So I think I will quickly spin up something to show them like, hey, I've thought about this. This is how I would approach it. And then, then I would demonstrate that this is going to take a long time. So shall we keep going or shall we scale back? I just love that your basis of everything that you do is to be kind. And you also, as I mentioned before, come off to me as someone who... And again, I don't know you, so maybe I'm totally wrong, but you don't come off to me as someone who will like like willingly completely deplete themselves in order to be kind. Yeah. Am I right about that? No, no, yeah, I definitely – So I'm like, how does she do that? How is she kind but not depleted? <laughs> <laughs> I think I – I mean, I think I've always been just – I have very close friends, few but close friends. So like 
we have such an understanding with each other that in, in a sense that no, we don't feel like we need to deplete each other because we know each other's boundaries. So one thing is I just keep few but close friends. Mm. Second is like, how, how else do I, I'm trying to think of different different tactics. Because I'm very kind yeah. and depleted. Yeah. And what happens is, and what's so much better about your approach, when you're very kind but you deplete yourself for several years, at least in my case, I've become resentful. Yeah. And then I lose compassion and empathy and I'm just like this like kind of like low-level agitation. Yeah. But my core being is loving and kind yeah. and abundant. So by not setting boundaries for several years, then you end up with like this kind of like muck, which I'm now trying to like fix in myself. I don't think it's a very lovely way to be. Yeah. So I really admire that you found this, oh, that other annoying word, balance. Balance. <laughs> but you found this way of being kind and energized. I'm like, oh, that is awesome. Yeah. Okay, so let me ask like let me ask you this. Let's say you have a week and you yeah. have so many social events or or uh, not even or work events yeah. that week. And at yeah. the end of the week you're like, "Wow, I'm so tired. Like, I don't want to repeat that again." Do you then repeat it again the next week or do you like take that lesson and just like say no to things then? Me a year ago or more or something like I would just do it again. Yeah. Me now, I'm I'm in a very like I'm, I, I was telling a friend, I'm in this season of no. Just everyone gets no now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so it's kind of like I'm I'm extreme. I'm it's like yes to everything or no to everything. And but I wanna I wanna be kind. Like I I, yeah. I mean I am kind, yeah. but I it's like okay, I'll give you an example. This is really vulnerable, but a lot of people ask me for a lot of things. Yeah. And it it feels like I have to have a, a, a gate up, um, which is frustrating because it's not kind to have a gate up. Anyway, so my automatic response is is something not mean but coldish because I feel like I have to have this gate up. Like instead of just being like, I totally understand why you're asking that. Like it's just soft and warm and fuzzy. I'm yeah. just like, fuck off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I, I agree because your, your, your patience level has worn so thin yeah. that it's like – you just react kind of in like maybe the way you don't want to. Yeah. Because you're just tired. You're just I'm exhausted. Tired. I'm just tired. Yeah. And I, I think like I just start saying I, – I do. I agree. I just start saying no to things. Like if yeah. I had a week that was exhausting, the next week I will just like cancel a ton of plans and I'll say, huh. hey, like can we do this in two weeks? And then like I have found a sweet spot for myself is like maybe one or two social events during the week and then like maybe two on the weekend. And that's, that's all I want to do. Anything more than that, I end the week being like unhappy. So, like, I have found, like, almost a number. I can, like, I, I'm a big numbers person. Yeah, I anchor yeah. myself to, like, almost, like, quotas for myself. I feel like what you're saying is that you prioritize refueling. Yeah, I really do. Like, there's nothing that makes me happier than, like, cooking dinner, listening to a good podcast, like, not speaking to anyone. And I, like, will make sure I have at least three of those a night. Oh, sorry, <sighs> a week. I love that. <laughs> I usually ask this later in the interview, but I think it's a nice time to ask it now. What is, like, a piece of advice someone – has given you that's helped you accelerate in your career? I feel like since we're talking so much about all this guidance for everybody listening, what's something that – guidance that you received? Yeah. So I think my like – to be honest, this wasn't personally said to me. It's just like the, the kind of the mantra of my yeah. – the person I look up to a lot. The saying is to be brave, not perfect. Mm -hmm. And like I can't tell you how much that phrase has like guided 
all my life decisions. Kind of it's self-explanatory, but yeah. behind it, what it basically means is like you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have all the skill sets. And you don't have to be perfect. Just like do it. Be brave. Raise your hand. Show up. Like go do something that makes you uncomfortable. That very much led me to quitting my Wall Street job to like be a founder. Very much led me to like learn how to code. Very much led me to like do so many things that I wouldn't have done if I was trying to like be perfect. Wow. So I just like, I just show up. I just do it. Be brave, not pr- I love that. I'll use that. Yeah. And it's for women especially because women are the ones who feel like they have to have every qualification in their resume before 100%. signing up for a job. Yeah. When men don't feel the same way. So it's like, it's very geared towards women. Let's go back to your Wall Street life and then pivoting towards tech, except that also in your Wall Street life, that's that was a very unique, powerful industry for you to be in. Yeah. So, and then you go over to another unique power. <laughs> like, so first of all, how did you get involved in Wall Street and and stake your claim there? Yeah. So one was like, I just really loved the fast pace of it. I am like, maybe you can tell, but like, I'm a, quite of an impatient person and I like things I to be fast. I can't tell. You were super patient with me. Oh, I'm actually, that's so <laughs> funny. My parents will say I'm the most impatient person there to exist. You guys, <laughs> literally, she waited an hour for me. She was patient. <laughs> maybe I need to be like more patient with the, Maybe with you were just thing. really kind with me. <laughs> you were prioritizing the kindness. <laughs> I know. I guess, I guess that's the, that's the skill that came out. Um, but I, I just yeah. was so attracted to the world of like a trading floor. It's yeah. so fast paced and it's a meritocracy. Like if you're a good trader, you have a number assigned to your name. Like Nikki made X million, whatever, yeah. in their commissions yeah. or something. I obviously don't get that all that yeah. money. But um, so then there's like a, there's a number yeah. assigned to your name. And like that's the way you can measure kind of performance. Right. So I love that aspect of it. Yeah. And Wall Street was like, it was a very cool environment. Everyone is wicked smart. They're so intense. Like you feel like you're in a dog pen. Yeah. And that was great for the first year. It, it very much satisfied that itch I had to be there. Right. And then at the end of the day, I was like, I looked at everyone around me. I was like, everyone here is miserable. My boss is miserable. My boss's boss is miserable. Like, what am I working towards yeah. if I don't want to be my boss? This is so funny. It, it, it speaks back to our little combo about happiness. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And then um, I really kind of bit that entrepreneurial bug. I went to a lot of these like random tech meetups and speaker yeah. series. And I was like, the passion that these founders are speaking about for their companies, like I've never seen that passion with a 10-foot pole right. in Wall Street. Um, so I was like, I have to do that. And there was like, I mean, that transition was very, very difficult for me because um, I had been I had been used to a straight yeah, path yeah. with the, like to follow the, you know, the path that everyone sets out for you. So the way I kind of transitioned over was I actually listened to a lot of podcasts. There was like two that I loved. One was um, Skim from the Couch, which was like it interviewed female founders. This and is cool. I don't even know. It's Skim from the Couch? Yeah. It's like, you know, the Skim, it's like a newsletter. Yeah, I do. So they have a podcast. Oh, cool. They interview female founders. And like, it's, nice. it's amazing. It's similar to this. Um, and there's another one, which is the same. It's a Brave Not Perfect. It's the founder, Rachel Masajani. She has a podcast as well. So I Oh, that saying? Yeah, yeah. The title, Brave Not Perfect, is a podcast. Yeah, yeah. It's oh, a podcast cool. as well. That's kind of her mantra. And she also converted that into Got a podcast. It. I love to run. I would go on runs and I would listen to this podcast yeah. about female founders. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, they're they're just like me. Like, I, I always had this view of a founder as someone who had either had a lot of family money or they were coders or they you know, had some special gift that made them a founder. I was like, no, they all worked consulting, finance, whatever, random jobs, and they just decided to, like, use their skills and, and do it. So that was kind of, like, the catalyst for me right. as I was like, I can do this as well. Um, and I made a bit of a, you know, I mapped it out for myself. I was like, 
if the company succeeds, you know, great. If the company does not succeed, go, you can get another job or you can yeah. try another company. So there yeah. was no, like, the worst case scenario wasn't that bad. So that's kind of how I, how I decided to make the jump. And then you went, you went from Wall Street to foundership? Yeah, because, like, no one would hire me, to be honest. Wait, what do you mean? Like, because being a trader, you, yeah. your skill set is so niche. Like, I I was, like, spent three years on this very specific product. Yeah. Um, And then I applied to jobs at startups and, like, yeah. in tech. And they looked, they were like, I don't get it. I don't get how you, with this background, right. can fit into our needs. Right. So, like, I did apply to many jobs and, like, just instant rejections. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, all right, looks like I have to go build some skill sets. So I was like, no one will hire me. I'll hire myself. So I was like, I'll just work for myself. So I did that. And at what point did you teach yourself how to code? So I basically, from the beginning itself, like, before – as I was quitting, I was like, okay, who's going to who's gonna build this? Yeah. And it's very expensive to get a coder. Um, and I didn't want to have to rely on constantly having to pay them. And I and I have, like, an engineering background, so I was like, I'll just learn how to code. Um, so I took classes online yeah. at, like, through Udemy, and that was a good base. Ooh. Um, and there's, like, a really amazing iOS boot camp that I took. And anybody that doesn't know, it's U-D-M-Y. It's really good online school. Yeah, very good. And the classes are very cheap. It was, like, 10 bucks for this amazing course. So yeah, so I, I learned online and it was still very difficult. Like for the first time ever, I didn't have a professor or a coach or like a coworker who could help me out. Like if I didn't figure it out, it wasn't going to happen. Um, and I, and I, I struggled a lot learning how to code, but finally, like with anything in life, it just takes time Yeah, and, and eventually, and it clicks. And then like, I remember the first time I released the app to like the public, oh my God, it crashed so many times. Like so many people texted me being like, a lineup is not working. And I was like, oh, my God. Um, so, yeah, I had a lot still to yeah. learn. Um, but then eventually I figured it all out and I was able to, like, create a good app that that worked. And to go from studying engineering in school, mm -hmm. then to leave that behind to go to Wall Street and then bounce back to that, what, like, yeah. what was that initial interest in engineering and what aspect of engineering did you study? So I studied financial engineering, which, which did help the transition to Wall Street. Yeah. Um, I think, like, when you're in school, there's really a few paths that everyone does, either consulting, finance, maybe, you know, tech, things like that. So I felt like I was just kind of following the herd into one of the paths. Yeah. And then when I got there, I was like, okay, this is great, but this is definitely not my final life mission. I'm curious, you know, there's so many different perspectives about school now mm -hmm. from, you know, should we still go to university? Should we, you know, just do online stuff? And you've done both to help you in yeah. your career. Looking back, aside from, I guess, social experience, was it worth it going to school career-wise? Like, like, it's not that – nothing I learned in school is something that I use now. So that's sad. But I also don't think we have reached the point in society where you can just, like, not have an undergrad degree and, like, no, people be like, no problem, come get hired to this company. You think so? We have made so much progress, and probably in ten years, I think that would be a, that would be the case. I feel like most jobs still require an undergraduate degree. Really? Do you not think? Uh, maybe, maybe I'm. Like I don't know. Of, I don't I'm know. Out of touch with the. I'm mostly founder, so I don't know. Like there are a handful of people that are just like either they quit their undergrad or they just don't even go to to school and they just become a founder and they do really well. But then like. If it doesn't work out, which it doesn't for a huge percent of people, 
what do you have to fall back on? And like a degree really helps. And I think more than anything, the network you create at that university helps a lot. I think as we're talking about it, what I think is, I'm thinking about the schools that I went to and how much I paid. I think that you shouldn't take on student loans to go to school. Yeah. So definitely get grants, get scholarships, get in-state tuition, whatever it is. Yeah. I think socially the college experience was something that I – it wasn't easy, but I think it valued it – ge- it gives me layers and different – because if we just jump straight to career, it's kind of like you're missing out from some cool chapters. Agreed, yeah. Um, and you don't even know what you want to do if you just go from high school to like a career. yeah. And let's say you're really successful, like YouTubers today, making millions of dollars. Like, the money isn't everything. And so uh, it's fine, but still, like, you are missing out on a a different chapter of your life. Yeah. Yeah. And I think some of the things that could be worth it are actually not the education, although the exploration of interest, yes. Like, Mm -hmm. I studied creative writing. That was totally worth it. But I also didn't have student loans and all this stuff. I think networking, mm-hmm. thinking – we talked about this before, like how you start to build your network at Grubhub and probably in yeah. other areas of your life. Choosing your school based on the type of people you'd like to meet and your network is – I won't say people in my – I don't – I don't know anyone from college right now. But, like, <laughs> but still, I think that that could be useful. I, I agree. And I and I and to the point you mentioned earlier, yeah, don't take on all this debt because I feel like just it don't really, take on the debt. I really yeah. probably and I, obviously, some people just have to take it on. Yeah. So I'm not saying you know don't. I think the allure of going to these very expensive schools is no like the value you get from that has, is getting lower and lower and lower. Like people from all kinds of schools can get the same top jobs as people who go to like Ivy Leagues. Do you think though that today if Somebody had the opportunity, but they would have to take a student loan to go to Yale, to Harvard, to Stanford. Mm -hmm. I feel like from a surface level that that would probably still be worth it because that kind of network feels very elite to me. Do you think I'm wrong? Yeah. I I would honestly – I'm not sure. Like anecdotally, everyone I know from those schools has done very well in their life. I would almost have to like look at data and and figure out like – percent of people who go to them what like how many percent get like you know great paying jobs yeah i do feel like if you get into one of those schools like you really will have a great launching pad for future careers yeah but i think the pressure you put on yourself as a high school student to get to these top schools oh. is no longer that relevant like you can go to a state school and still do very well in life hmm yeah so yeah. interesting because it, with the whole Y Combinator movement and everything, it's just our our the tech industry has kind of villainized college and totally, university. Yeah. And here you are, you're like, I learned how to code with Udemy, a ten dollar class. Yeah, and I think there's something extremely valid about that. And to go into hundreds of thousands of dollars into debt when you could take a ten dollar thing on Udemy, it's yeah. like, let's really break down. I know what we're gonna get out. Of- yeah. Oh my god! When we like calculated how much cost per minute it was, it was costing us to be at. School school it was so depressing it's crazy did, now did you have student loans or no i didn't like thankfully i you know i have pa- i had parents who could afford to you know send me directly with that loans um so i'm very thankful for that but i'm very well aware that not everyone has that situation and i and i neg- i moved and had in-state tuition okay great great so yeah. i didn't have that either yeah it's really really it's tough it's tough i think the other thing is like 
people, not everyone, but they, I, I would want more people to be like lifelong learners. And I think a lot of people, they will learn in school and then they will learn what they need to do on the job, but that's the end of like their yeah. route to education. And like people, like I take so many online courses. Like I learned, I learned poker online and like how to code and how to whatever do just because I'm like, one is $10. Yeah. And two, like, it's just fun to learn. It makes you feel like you have a lot of self-worth when you do things that totally. are difficult. Even in high school, I would take extension classes at UCLA. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. Did a lot of people do that as well. Or were you kind of rare in that sense? I was ra- I was like 15 or 16 yeah. in a college and course. And who like, <laughs> motivated you to even do that? I have no idea. <laughs> I've, I've it, came, been, it came from within. I somehow. don't even know how I discovered that that existed. That is kind of weird. I just, I was one of those people in a way I still am that was really curious about different cultures and ecosystems. Mm-hmm. And I, I was the kind of person that was at summer school every single, nobody was telling me to. I just, that's what I, that yeah. was my jam. And so, like, I went to Cal Poly when I was still in high school, went to UCLA still in high school. I was, I would just find these programs. Yeah. And I was just curious. And I, and then I ended up traveling abroad, like, a lot, like, with the different educational programs, like, super curious. Yeah. And what, <laughs> hence, I'm now I'm a podcaster, <laughs> just asking questions. Now you're speaking to people all over the world. Super <laughs> curious still. <laughs> still, we're still super curious. Yeah. When you would, like, go to these classes with people who are much older than you, would yeah. you feel weird or would you feel like, that's okay. Like, no, I, I didn't. Like, the one thing I did that was really um, interesting is I didn't feel weird. I felt – well, actually, I can't remember, but I don't recall feeling weird. And there's one particular thing that was super weird that I was there, but I I guess I kind of felt – I've always felt cool being the minority. Mm-hmm. Like, I've always felt that it gave me an edge. Yeah. And one thing that is real weird that I was a part of, um, there's this thing called Writer's Boot Camp in L.A. for script writers. Mm -hmm. And when I was 15 years old, I joined the first Writer's Boot Camp. And I was the – everybody else was, I don't know, 20s, 30s or probably 30s, you know? And and then there was me. Yeah, high school, you. (laughs) Yeah, and this – this thing has now been around for several years and to think I was in the first one in this living room with a bunch of grown-ups and then me. Oh my God. It's like weird, but like I loved it. I loved that I was just kind of exploring these different areas of the world. Yeah. Yeah. And like when people grow up in cities, like I'm, I'm guessing you grew up in LA. I grew up in LA, yeah. You do have access to a lot of these yes. things. So it's like, it's amazing that you took advantage of that. Because yeah. like if you grew up in a suburb or whatever, you may not have a community college near you. Um, so you don't have as much access, but it's great that, that you- That I even like knew that that existed. But it's true. Like I think that's one of the things that maybe in other places uh, of at least the US that- um, you don't you don't have access to kind of uh, a divi- diversity of opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Like I agree. you have your high school and you have your football and you <laughs> yeah. I know. Uh, I I can't wait like either to be part of the change or to like see the change of having high school like education, the, the curriculum be different. Yeah. Because yeah. like the first time I sold anything was when I had to go sell for my startup, and it's like how come at that age is yes. the first time I sold something? Like why sh- I should have been learning yes. how to sell in like high school. Yes. Not like the Ottoman Empire. Yeah. You know, history. Hundred um, percent. There's so many. Pretty much school doesn't teach us life skills. It doesn't at all in any school. Yeah. Elementary, middle, high school, college. Even, even like conflict resolution. Yep. Like, that is something that we should teach the people. The closest you would get is debate. 
Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I did debate. I didn't even do that, yeah. but that could have been potentially helpful. Another thing when it comes to this is such an interesting, but like uh, not off track. Just I I really like this conversation. Improv classes. Mm. I think improv is something that should be in schools. I took improv, and I don't desire to be a comedian or anything like that. I, as a way to more effectively learn how to communicate and be a speaker. Yes. Improv is a great educational tool. Even that they have this thing in improv called Yes And. Mm -hmm. And I intentionally do my best to not, when I'm writing messages, at least not use the word but. I do my best to use the word and. Yeah, so it's expansive. Because, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's more, it's warmer. Agreed. Agreed. And you could say the same thing in a warmer way. I know. It's all back to our original <laughs> comment. How do you be kind, but also shut the boundaries? I want to break up with you. <laughs> and <laughs> you're a really amazing person. <laughs> See, it's very useful in all of life scenarios. Um, yes. Okay. Okay. So you studied financial engineering, ended up in Wall Street, discovered um, foundership through uh, through these podcasts you were listening to and also this proactive curiosity. Yeah. And you also taught yourself how to code utilizing Udemy. And then where did we go from there in your journey? Yeah. So, okay. So I'll give you a quick background on what I even built. So it was an app called Lineup. And I, you know, I had moved to New York City. I was like, let's go to, I was going out to like bars and clubs. And where did you grow up? I grew up in New Jersey. Okay. So I've been like a tri-state area yeah. person my whole life, which is why I'm very happy to be in LA. <laughs> but anyway, so I was, it was in New York City. I was young. I was like going out to all these bars and clubs and there would be these long lines everywhere. Yeah. And I was like, if I had known that there would be a long line here, we could have gone elsewhere. Yeah. And I'm like, like I said, I'm very impatient. I hated waiting in lines. So yeah. I was like, the same way that Waze tells you what the traffic is places by yeah. crowdsourcing it. I was like, I'm going to build this for... For, lo for lines, basically. Right, right. And, like, I lived in New York City, one of the most crowded places in the world where there's lines everywhere. Yeah. So I was like, I'm going to build an app that tells you in real time how long the line is places. Love. And, like, everyone was like, the great idea. Nikki's yeah. going to save our, you know, Friday night experience. Uh, so I was super excited to build something that yeah. I would use, my friends would use. And that was kind of the idea behind yeah. it. Many, many uh, fatal flaws with the app. One being, like, how do I collect this data? <laughs> so, like... <laughs> I was like, I, I thought of a bunch of different options, but I ended up going with like crowdsourcing it. Yeah, so yeah. people would put in how yeah, long they waited in line, but no one really put in any information. So I just ran around every Friday and Saturday night from like 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. No. putting in wait times. Like I was like sober, like this was work for me. <laughs> and I was just running around New York City, like taking a city bike to go from yeah, neighborhood yeah. to neighborhood to put in wait times so that my app would have data. Yeah. And then... That was just, like at one point I was like, this is not sustainable. It's like, like this, real life founder stuff. Exactly. <laughs> it's like this won't scale. Um, my favorite thing is like how I would get people to download this app. Yeah. So I would like get all my friends to come out with me and I would like have them go stand in lines and be like, this line is so long. Like if only there was an app to tell me. Stop. Like, <laughs> and then we would get everyone to download the app. Um, but yeah, so that was really fun in terms of that experience. Yeah. And I loved building it. But to be honest, like at the end of the day, I wasn't getting data in the app. Like, the bars and the clubs, they didn't want me to exist because they were like, stop telling people how long the line is. Yeah. So I didn't really have a revenue stream. Yeah. And then most importantly, when COVID hit, there was no lines anywhere. Yeah. So that was the end of lineup. I I, I pivoted to grocery stores and Trader, like Trader now, Joe's did you, and COVID. Yeah. Did you, sorry, did you use your education from the Udemy coding course in order to build the app? Correct, correct. So cool. It was, it was amazing. Yeah. Everything I learned there was what I used to build this app. And then you tried pivoting to grocery stores, but it just... Grocery yeah. stores and COVID testing centers, because they had long lines yeah. now in COVID, but still the same problem. Yeah. I couldn't get the data. Yeah, so that was kind of the... And then after lineup... 
So after lineup, so one thing that I did, and I actually, I, to be honest, I omit this part of the story sometimes because to our earlier point, it's no longer like, um, I don't feel much pride, but I went to business school. Right. So um, my mom, when I quit my job to yeah. do lineup, she was like, Nikki, you have to apply to business school yeah. because like, I need you to have a backup plan. Totally. <laughs> I was like, okay. So I applied to a few, I applied to only three business schools that were all like very entrepreneurial focused. Yeah. So thankfully, like I got into one. It was also it was like a school that was one year program, very entrepreneurial focused, yeah. and that was perfect because like I actually got like a full scholarship there, so it didn't cost me anything, and I was able to ride out the pandemic while, while doing school. Amazing. Um, so that worked out well. Yeah. So I did that, and then that really like once I had finished that, I was like, I want to be a product manager. Like that's what I think yeah. I would excel at, and then I worked for Grubhub. And and then how did you find Grubhub? Remind me. Um, so yeah, so like the business school I went to, one of the alumni, she worked for Grubhub. So Look I was at able that to... relationship. <laughs> exactly. See, and then that that's part of the the perk in being part of these communities. Exactly. It is the perk. It's like very clearly I got this job because I was an alumni of this school. Interesting. That's so interesting. And then what have what's your day to day look like at, at ShopStyle? Yeah. Yeah. So um it's basically kind of creating features. So let me give an example. Like we are a shopping site. So you go to us and there's tons of different, you know, sweaters, jeans, et cetera. So let's say, um, what, what is something that we built recently? We People want to be able to find the lowest price for an item. So yeah. let's say you're searching for like a, uh, we, have, we have a lot of luxury shoppers on our site. So I'll use the example of like a particular Gucci handbag. Right. Um, now when you go to our site you want to be able to find the lowest price for it. Right. So, like, I'm trying to think, how can I f- help people find the lowest price for this particular item in the best way that shows them shipping policy, return policy, sale alerts, things like that? So I'm, like, creating different features and components to this website that, like, makes it easier for the user. There's a lot of talking to customers, figuring out their pain points, working with design to iterate and create, like, versions that will solve this problem, working with engineers to build it, then testing it, and then figuring out if we launch it or not. Yeah. What's your favorite part of that process? I think I love the ideation aspect of it. It's like you get to like almost sit with a blank piece of paper and you're like, I have this problem. I have like, let me just think big and small of ways to solve it. Um, And then like I have thankfully very talented design and engineer team so that I feel like pretty confident it'll get built. Um, So it's just like that initial sitting with that blank piece of paper. What is what is a huge obstacle that you've successfully overcome in your career, and how did you overcome it? Mm, I think definitely learning to code was like a big one. Um, Because like otherwise, this app might not have gotten off the ground, and I've been wait I would have been waiting and waiting for a co-founder. So I think just like taking things into your own hands is a big lesson that I've learned of how to overcome obstacles. Um, But the other things like there is like a you know, there's certain jobs that I've that I've really wanted or things that are like have been not kind of knocked down from things. And I think it's just like you'll get knocked down like a hundred times. You just have to keep getting up because like XYZ person does, doesn't define your worth and like a rejection from this company or this club or whatever doesn't define your worth. Like there's, there's more clubs and there's more people so like just keep getting back up. Totally. And yeah. one of the things that I'm trying to teach myself right now, which is hard, is not everybody needs to like you. Yeah. That's, that's a really hard one. It's so hard because we're all likable to someone. I know. It's like, why don't you? Yeah, it's really hard pill to swallow when you think someone doesn't like you because you're like, I can make this better. I can make them like yeah. me. But it's like, do I? Should I waste that time? Because we all have different personalities. So some 
somebody may be really gregarious and and that and that attracts a lot of people their personality and someone else is really quiet and that attracts people their personality and so to be someone that a hundred percent of people and then some people are douchebag assholes so what do you care if they like you or not yeah so like i know i yeah. almost have heard the saying that like if everyone likes you you're doing something wrong because, like, yeah. you're not pushing back enough for something. I don't know if I agree with that, but that's yeah. definitely a mindset that some people have. I've heard that, too. Like, I've heard that if there's no, um, like, something like no controversy in what you're talking about, then the blah, blah. Yeah, your you're viewpoint not, is not strong yeah, enough Yeah, or but I just think it's – I think it's Im- Im- important to remember – not at least for me that not everybody needs to like me so that I could better like myself and stand true to who I am rather than trying to adapt to what every single person wants me to be yeah I think I like thankfully and I don't know when this happened but like I don't really seek others approval because it's just not something that I need like I'm very um happy with how I've crafted my life yeah um and it's by doing hard things. It's like by signing up to run a marathon. It's yeah. like by, um, you know, creating apps and yeah, by yeah. learning new skills, et cetera. So like a lot of my self-worth comes from confidence that I've done hard things. I love that. So like I, I don't know when this shift happened because I'm sure there is many times in the college where I was really seeking everyone's approval. But like it doesn't – I'm like who cares? <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Last question. Yeah. I'm a software mobile app nerd like yeah. I like all the different things what is a like must have that you love like mobile app or website that you go to a lot or mobile app that you're like oh it's so good uh, like I really love Canva yes Canva has like just really it's made my life so much easier I make a lot of marketing content for like my various apps that I have and I and I'm not like a designer and I don't um, are a marketing person yeah. so like that just makes my life so much easier like you could just it's templates for everything and it really looks like you put a lot of work into it yes um that's a great rack yeah so yeah. canva it's super it's there's a lot it's like, there's a pre it's a freemium thing but a huge portion of it is free and yeah. so I recommend people use that for anything yeah canva's amazing and if you're looking to create a podcast canva has free podcast cover art templates oh, oh so. wow there's that too. Oh, amazing. Um, wait, before we wrap up, there's one more yes. thing that I wanted to kind of Please. talk about, which yeah. is that um, – so here in LA, kind of when I when I moved here, I was trying to get involved with the tech scene. Yeah. And one thing that I have in New York City that was so powerful for me was I had a running club called Pitch and Run. Yeah. Um, and it was essentially just like a really organic way to make friends in the tech industry. Yeah. So it brought together founders and investors. Like Love. it's called Pitch and Run because like – the idea was you pitch your startup as you run, but that doesn't really happen. You just talk about life. Um, so I brought that to LA. Um, so we have. <gasps> cool. So I started Pitch and Run LA here, which is every Friday morning. So that's like just a because at the end of the day, I think that consistency over time is yeah. what builds friendships, like yeah. not just like random networking events. Agree. So it's like you just run with them over time. And then when that opportunity comes, that person connects you to something. So it's like you build a really good base with people. So I love this. Uh, you know, if anyone likes to run or walk or whatever, please come to like pitch and run. I think that's a great organic way to like make friends. Wait, yeah. so did you say there's a pitch and run in New York as well? Yeah, so that's where it started. How many pitch and runs are there? Like how many cities? So actually in the last month, so before, if, one month ago, it was just New York City. And yeah. then in the last month, we expanded to LA, San Francisco, Chicago, and um, 
I want to say Austin. Wait, are they all yours? They're not mine. No. No. Uh, so you run the chapter I of LA. I run the LA chapter. Yeah, like yeah. there's these amazing people in New York City who started the New York City one. And then we've all, like some of us from New York City have moved. So like yeah. I moved to LA, someone else moved to Chicago, someone yeah. moved to SF. So they've started chapters there. Is it pitchandrun.com? There's no website. It's oh. like only through Twitter or Instagram. Um, so it's How like, do people find out? It's like Pitch and Run NYC is the Instagram handle for New York City. Pitch and Run LA is for LA. So just go to Instagram. Yeah, Instagram or Twitter. Or Twitter. Pitch and Run LA. Yeah. Or Pitch and Run NYC. Yeah. Or And I'm sure through those accounts, if you're in a different city, you could see figure yeah. out. Yeah. yeah. But it's cool. really nice. It's just That's a very so sweet cool. way to like make friends. <laughs> Thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast. I had a blast. It was so wonderful to speak with you. Oh my gosh. This was such an empowering conversation. To connect and collaborate with more amazing people around the world, be sure to go to womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. Say hello on social at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. I will see you talk to you all the things in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Hey, everyone. This is Nikki Agarwal, product manager at ShopStyle, which is a fashion engine for all of your shopping needs, based out of Los Angeles. And you're listening to Women in Tech. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.